welcome to the 9642 podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number 9. And this is The Fool. This is where me and The Fool give our unqualified and unrequested ramblings on the various issues in the world of sport. Or something like that. Hello, everybody. This uh, We are back to discuss... Uh, our final podcast about the T20 World Cup and the wider yeah. cricketing universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it the Cricket Extended Universe at this point? <laughs> cricket Extended Universe, yes, exactly. So we're down from the uh, the T20 World Cup, which was great. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed this tournament. This... Um, took a while for me to grow to this whole double qual. I know they don't call the preliminary ra- groups the qualifying tournament, but it is yes. a qualifying tournament. But those were good too. They gave us upsets like the West Indies getting beaten by Zimbabwe. Yeah. And, uh, and Scotland, and then obviously uh, Sri Lanka losing to Namibia. So there's some incredible performances by a lot of teams, a lot of associate teams. Um, it was great to see Zimbabwe do very well again in yeah. a mini tournament after a while. A very interesting team. Like I mentioned in our previous podcast, I quite liked their team. They're very tall bowlers, and Kandaraza is clearly a very good player. Yeah. Um, I look forward to seeing them play test matches somewhere with good bouncy pitches, which their bowling attack can exploit um but now uh as we were leaving us new zealand were playing england a match that they would lose unfortunately um but they would secure qualification by beating the netherlands quite handily sorry ireland in their next game beg your pardon yes the english made short work of of sri lanka beg your pardon yeah and then qualified for the others uh and the other spot in the semi-final finishing second at that group um, After Australia had beaten Afghanistan as well, to yeah. sort of force England to have to win that game, I think. Yes, well, um, sort of. I believe, yes, sort of. They needed Sri Lanka to win for... Like, I think it needed to be a big win, right? Yeah, Yeah, a, a very big win for Sri Lanka, I believe. Um, in the other group, it was much more interesting. So going yeah. into the final day... Basically, we thought that it was only being played for places. South Africa were going to beat the Netherlands, obviously. Yeah. And that meant that uh, India could only play for second, pro- probably, yeah. uh, based on how the well, results were Well, we'd given South Africa basically two chances. They had two bites of the cherry. They had Pakistan and Netherlands. We thought yeah. they'll win one of those games. Yeah. Like, they're playing well up to this point. They were looking... Rock solid looking, at, yeah, as we call them, we call them, I think we call them Pakistan with better bowlers. Yes, Pakistan and, with better bowlers and yeah. arguably a more balanced batting lineup. Yeah. Um, now they had, they lost to both Pakistan and the Netherlands. Um, mm. Well, a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of internet content about South Africa's long history of falling, uh, you know, Choking. Let's choking. Yeah. Be, uh, be, let's not beat around the bush. That's exactly what happened to them. Yeah. Um, 
and there's been a lot of talks so now um, not this is I'm not this is not a paid presentation but listen to I do uh, subscribe to a lot of the podcasts on the 99.94.dm network yeah. done by Jared Ch- uh, Kimber and one of the great podcasts on there it has um, uh, uh, Neil Manthorpe and uh, Lungi Mandini who are like incredible speakers on the game so, and they shoot straight as straight as I can imagine anyone shooting um, when it comes to South African cricket they're quite they're, they think of them one of the great things they do think of themselves as more of as the African podcast, they cover a right, lot right. of uh, other African teams, and they want—you know—they're very supportive of both Zimbabwe and Namibia. Yeah. I believe um, uh, Lungani uh, was is from Zimbabwe um, okay. or Botswana, one of those two countries in Southern Africa. Uh, my apologies <laughs> if you listen to the cat to the pod. Uh, Lingani um, and Neil Manthorpe is like yeah, we all know who he is he's been riding on the cricket block for ages and so they've been talking long and hard about the team now one of the things people talked about is the fact that they had Temba Bavuma and he was captain of the side and everybody like both Neil and Lingani said that if the team were if Cricket South Africa were after all the scandals of the last two years with the racism and um, all the you know the process that had they had to go through to mm. listen to everybody's uh, point of view and all that the um, they wanted to have a black captain for one of their cricket teams it's quite obvious that Temba's best format is probably test cricket he's a patient rotator of the strike He's not an aggressive hitting batsman, yeah. um, and he's probably a good t- one ODI player as well. But T20 is clearly not his best. That is his le- that's his worst format as a batter, and he doesn't bowl. So you're you know he's a batter in your team who's effectively now a specialist captain. Yeah. And so and they've. Yeah, Cricket South Africa kind of put him in the worst possible situation. He can't say no. He's going to be the first black captain of a you know representative of a South African cricket side. Yeah. Of course. And if he says no, he's going to be painted as the guy who didn't want to come in. And yeah, you're, you're an international cricket player. Of course you have an ego and you think yeah, you exactly. can do stuff. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to succeed at being an international sportsman, of, you know, of professional sportsman of any kind. Of any kind, exactly. So I don't blame uh, Temba Bavuma, um, but he's in a difficult position. And probably they're not going to fire him, and he's probably going to have to resign. So there was a lot of backlash. I strongly recommend people follow the pod, uh, follow the pod, and listen to what he's had to say. Um, but I just that's a very brief summary of what gone th- uh, what uh, they went through. Um, Jared Kimber did a very detailed analysis of every single time South Africa choked, <laughs> and That'd it be a was good yeah, it's on YouTube. Um, do and yeah, some of it's painful. Like like the '92 World Cup. I know everybody feels sorry for South Africa because rain did them in, and that is sort of fair. But they were well behind the run rate. Yeah, and we're talking about the era of you know this is not 
nowadays, they needed something like 22 runs of... Um, of the last ball, wasn't it? Something like that. Uh, no, they needed 22 runs of 8 balls or something. 5 balls, or, okay, yeah. Was it 14 balls, and then it became 22 runs of of two balls at the end, you know, uh, yeah. what it came down to. But the fact is, they were not finding the boundary, and you yeah. know, they uh, yes. nowadays we would call 22 balls off 14. Yeah, that's a win. You win from there. There's yeah, yeah. no question. But it wasn't like that at the '92 World Cup. That wasn't how it worked. Um, and the you know, and none of the batters there were showing that that they were going to be able to do it either. Yeah. So England actually did outplay South Africa throughout that game. And as I remember, and there was a, the because it wasn't the Duckworth Lewis system they were using. They were using it was it called the Rain Rule system. Rain Rule system. It was I can't remember off the top of my head. I do remember it was a little weird, but it was clearly favoured. I think it favoured. Um, batting first and South Africa had won the toss and they yes. the forecast was for rain and they chose to chase so yes. it sort of was like that was the also wrong... the case yeah, yeah. you were um, at... playing with fire at that point of well you know that the rules are stacked against chasing when it's rain and rain's coming so yeah and in that game they couldn't yeah they there was a thing where they did make a mistake that ended up costing them. Yeah. And and then the game against the uh, West Indies is in the 1996 World Cup. Now, I did watch this game when I was young, like on TV, obviously. I wasn't at the stadium. Yeah. And like I just thought, oh, yeah, the Windies just played better. And their spin bowlers won the game for them. And I'm like, that happens. Brian Lara scores a century. What are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? What I forgot... As, or I didn't recall at the time is that South Africa rested Alan Donald for that game. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I thought about that a bit more and I went, that's a really bad decision. Super bad uh, decision. Like, and I don't know. Yeah. Like, looking back, is this going to be one of those games that they've go on that Hansi Cronier kind of fixed for money because um, yeah. obviously he was the captain of the team but yeah they dropped uh, Alan, Alan Donald for, to get a Paul Adams into the team and basically Lara smashed him yeah uh, he had to bowl in the within the 15 over mark and because they weren't carrying more bowlers the um, the team had to um they uh, had to bowl him later on at the death, and yeah. they basically milked him. Um, it was unfortunate. He is a young man making his debut at the World Cup, and you know he was the first like uh, coloured player. And by coloured, I mean like that's the ethnic, what they call the mixed race people in South Africa, yeah. like in that term, to yeah. using to represent South Africa. So um, yeah, the. Uh, it was so you know he started off his career really well and then he like, you know, never really recovered after that and yeah you know, he got put in this between a rock and a hard place. Oh, that, he was totally put in a situation. in a bad position, right? It was yeah. Yeah. Now moving on from there, the uh, they had the famous um, you just dropped the World Cup yeah. match again. South Africa uh, against Australia, Australia in yeah. 
in the uh, 99 World Cup. And then, of course, the comedy of errors in that drawn semi-final, because that is a drawn game. Now, the word draw would come to haunt them, and because in the 2003 World Cup, they miscalculated their Duckworth-Lewis numbers, oh, and no. they Mark Boucher hit a, uh, hit a six, and he had one ball left, and he thought that was enough to win the game, so he then blocked the next ball. And when they got to the dressing rooms, everybody was like, um, bro, like, what have you done? What have you and done? obviously they didn't come back on, and yeah, New Zealand went into the semis instead of them. And to be fair, they also played, the game they played against New Zealand, which was won by a Stephen Fe uh, Fleming century, they batted Duckworth Lewis uh, definitely uh, advantages the team chasing. Yeah. Compared to Rain Rule, which, you know, advantages the team batting first. So yeah. they won the toss and batted first. Yeah. yeah. Once again, like bad decisions. The third meme of Tony, uh, Tony Stark going, eh, not a great idea. Yeah, not a good idea. And uh, so there's been a long history of bad decisions along with the obvious choke. Yeah. Like, it's gotten to the point now, like, there's, uh, there's I was like listening to this uh, politic uh, politics podcast where somebody was saying that, look, you know, they say that comedy is tragedy over a long period, uh, you know, uh, over, over a long period of time. So if you, like, slip on a banana peel, Everybody will initially go, oh, are you okay? Is, you know, did you get hurt? Because it's a tragedy. Yeah. If you keep flipping on a banana peel, people laugh. And yeah. you because like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're sleeping over the banana peel. But the, uh, the thing is, like, if the tragedy continue, if the comedy continues long enough, then it also, it goes back to being a tragedy again. <laughs> so, you know, initially you'll laugh at the guy for like, dude, just, you know stop slipping on banana peels and then you know if he's doing that you know if he's go doing that for a whole year you're gonna be like are you okay man like yeah. this Something's is wrong, like yeah. things yeah. wrong here like you shouldn't just be slipping on banana peels <laughs> and like it's no longer funny you know like no, no. um and like it's gotten to the point with south africa now where like i know the 2011 world cup where uh South Africa were beaten by New Zealand in the quarterfinal. Yes. Like, the Kiwi players, like, uh, who were not playing, like, the they were the subs, were basically trolling them for, at the boundary. <laughs> and yes. how they were going to choke. Yeah. The game. Like, South Africa never looked like winning that game. New Zealand got just about enough runs. Look, the, they got runs that you looked at and went, okay, that's a score, but, you know, they're not... That's a gettable score. Yeah. And South Africa were like the form team of that tournament. In fact, this is the thing that Jared Kimber pointed out that I knew it, but it still shocked me. South Africa are the winningest white ball team ever. If you don't... Really? Uh, yeah. So if you look at pure record, like what they yeah. do in uh, like just bilateral series, including games at World Cups, 
They have won more. They're the only team to, uh, to have a more than 55% win rate. Wow. In the world. So they're out. They win more than Australia. They win more. So they are uh, T like. And leading up to that World Cup in 1999 and 2003, they were the number one ranked T20, uh, sorry, the ODI side. Wow, yeah. That is amazing. So, so it's not like they, they, it's really a choke because they aren't yeah. a good team that got themselves into a position where they, you know, or a team that like aren't that good but got themselves into a winning position somehow and like, yeah. And they're now riding the luck. They are one of the, you know, one of the best ODI teams since the, uh, you know, since they came back from, uh, from the, uh, yeah, from the apartheid days. Yeah, yes. From the readmission days. Yeah. Yeah. Since they've got readmitted into the sport, so, yeah. And that is crazy the, to think of. That's so crazy to think of, uh, and there's like a lot of questions about why they think it's like one of the things that both Lungani and uh, Neil Manthorpe talked about. Because, like I said, look, compared to like New Zealand, like South Africa, it has its problems, but it has more resources than a country like. So, Cricket South Africa, in theory, has more resources about people and like expertise available yeah. to it than like New Zealand cricket. Yes, yes. But like New Zealand cricket are honest about where they are. Yeah. So like Kane will, because you know when they said that they're they don't want to host three Test matches because it would like you know bankrupt the. Uh, uh, bankrupt New Zealand cricket, like Kane Williamson yeah. did go up and was like, hey, I don't agree with, the, like, you know, publicly did say, I don't agree with this, I want to play more test matches, and New Zealand cricket invited him over and said, this are the books, this yeah. is what we make from test matches, this is how many games a year you're going to miss out because we want you to play IPL, and you want to play IPL, so, yeah. alright, where's yeah. the money? Yeah. How are we going to make balance these And, books? like, it, there's a brutality to that honesty, like, they're just like, don't have it like what are you gonna do we'd love to play more test matches nobody here you know we're cricket fans we love test matches yeah yeah exactly they're not making money like they've got to turn a profit or at least break even yes to pay like, everybody's wages we can criticize india all we want but you know they are keeping the format alive for countries that are not england or in australia mm. like if India didn't tour countries like New Zealand. We would not. It would not be viable for us to really host Test series. Yeah. Like eventually, we would just have to be like, yeah, we can't play this format. Like it's just too expensive. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, like, cause you know, the fact that there's a bonanza every few years, like when England, Australia, you know, South Africa, England, Australia, or um, India tour. Is what allows us to keep this format, which we're like, you know, created one of the best teams we've ever had in our history in that yeah. format. So, but we couldn't do that if we didn't get that financial support from, you know, other teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the other thing, like, there's been a lot of. Uh, uh, talk about like there's a strong don't rock the boat culture 
in South Africa. And I'm like, there is a bit of that culture in New Zealand as well. Like yeah. both you and I work corporate. We know there's always that in every corporation, but also in like sports teams. Yeah. So I can't imagine that. But I do think like in both New Zealand and Australia, like if you as an individual do something that's technically against the practice, the accepted practice, but you know you're right, and you turn out to be right, you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you then, can justify why you thought it was right, even if you turned out to be wrong. Yeah. But you ended was, up going, Look, I thought it was, this is why thinking, and it made sense. They'll go, okay, it does make sense. Yeah, we see why you, you thought know? that. It made sense. Here was the logical, here was the problem. You didn't know this bit of information or this or something. Oh, this was an, this, un, this was an, this was an unknowable bit of information. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, based on this thing, you went against the formula because you realize it's an exception. And, like, I think in New Zealand, like, you're kind of encouraged to think like that because it gives us yeah. a lot of competitive advantage. Like, you know, we're smaller, so we have to be ag more agile. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, generally, as, a, generally. as far yeah. as companies go. Yeah. That old number eight wire mentality, right? Yeah. Sort of plays into that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you're right. And there's like this, like, sort of accepted romantic. People romanticize uh, uh, so called mavericks in New Zealand culture. Yeah, yeah. I say so called because a lot of them aren't really that maverick. But, you no, know. No. Within, <laughs> 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 like, reason. <laughs> Don't get too wild here. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely issues with in New Zealand cricket. And this is a thing, like, uh, we'll get into it a bit more about what we think is the for, is what uh, do we do uh, going on from here after this World Cup. Like, I think New Zealand managed to get to the semis. Um, disappointing in how they lost to... Um, uh, lost to... Pakistan. Um, my dad always says it feels like he's lost the war. He's lost the war again. <laughs> oh no! Every time New Zealand or Bangladesh lose to Pakistan, so he's like back-to-back -back losses to the old co old colonial empire. Oh no! But he yes. was happy that England beat Pakistan in the end for that reason. <laughs> Which is hilarious. It is hilarious. Um, but yeah, politics aside, uh, Bangladesh, we'll go into Bangladesh's quarterfinal against Pakistan. That loss against the Netherlands managed, the Netherlands winning gave, gave the, uh, made India automatically qualify and it yeah. gave, and it made them top of the group so they could just chill in their game against Zimbabwe. And the, um, it also basically made that into a, a virtual quarterfinal between the Bangladesh Pakistan, yeah. Yeah, it made it into a virtual quarterfinal. And the it was clearly obvious from the demeanor of the teams that it Pakistan were the most up for it. Yeah. Of the two teams. Like as soon as the um, the as soon as the result was obvious like the 
fact that South Africa was going to lose was obvious. They were out practicing, getting ready, like, yep, we've got a game, we've got, you know, it is in our own hands. Like, all we have to do is beat Bangladesh if we can. Yeah. The, um, and the news, uh, and the, uh, the Dutch were also watching the game because if Pakistan won that game, then they would automatically qualify for the next World Cup. Yeah. As this is transpired, that is what happened. Yeah. Um, so Bangladesh, some mis- definitely some mistakes. Um, they played well against India. I do think the ref, the umpires, cost Bangladesh that game. Um, and they also probably cost. But there was probably a few calls in that uh, Pakistan game that as I'm not happy about. But you know, you feel free to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> Given I'm a uh, obviously a Bangladesh supporter, but I did not see how Shakib Al Hassan's bat was anywhere near the ball when the Sniko. <laughs> sorry, well, the sorry, I don't understand why they thought the uh, the sound on the Snickometer was the bat hitting the ground when the gra- bat was in the air when the yeah you know, the line appears on the graph. Yeah, like it's so clearly must have hit the bat. Um, and this is why I don't like the fact that umpires are forced to give you a soft signal if it's they're going upstairs. I think it should be fine for an umpire to go, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think um, that, the, uh, that the benefit of the doubt should just go to the batter because, you know, at the end of the day, they have more jeopardy yeah, yeah. than... A bowler who loses loses a wicket like you. We've I've talked about this before. Like yeah. batsmen are when they're done, they're done. It's like dying, and you yeah, don't yeah. get to respawn. Like bowlers can keep coming back. Yeah, they get the next ball and the next ball yeah. and the next ball. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit better. less like that in T20 because obviously you only get about 24 deliveries in a T20 game. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it principle applies. Yeah, it's still the yeah, same principle, basically. Just the batters technically, therefore, have less time as well. But, yeah. So, batter gets one bad decision against them, that's it, they're done. And that could be the end of it all. But, you know, bowler technically can come back and just bowl another good ball the next ball and just get it then. Yeah. Yeah, so, and... Yeah, benefit of doubt should go to the batter. Yeah, so. I agree. Obviously, I agree. Because uh, that's been like one of my big bugbears about the whole... Well, the thing on that should be, therefore, if the umpire isn't sure, the on-field umpire isn't sure, the soft signal should always be not out, right? That should be the way. That they shouldn't be not, you know, soft signal out if they're not relatively sure that that's what happened. They should be... Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, we are... It looked out to us but we have like a very minor doubt because of this reason or this reason but it, it looks out to us yeah so let's check see if these minor reasons are there or not if it's that was closing oh, oh yeah that's i don't know there should be soft signal not out up to, to the be TV fair see if you can that particular it. result i believe the umpire just did believe that they were out and okay. he, they uh did just uh signal it was shakib who went up which was right, as the mm. replays showed. But yeah, he missed out. Uh, in the end, didn't get to stay on in bat. Um, 
who knows how that game might have ended differently. Like, I feel like Bangladesh getting another, even another extra 20 runs in that game could have made a big difference in the end yeah, result. Yeah. How... But, yeah. It is what it is. Pakistan invoked the spirit of 1992, and we all yeah. know what happens when that <laughs> that card gets played. Dan, I mean, 92 still haunts me, so... Yeah, and then as soon as they did that, we knew New Zealand were going to lose to Pakistan in the semis, right? Like, that yeah, was yeah. that was just an obvious... I don't think New Zealand's ever beaten Pakistan in a knockout game in an ICC tournament. I think you have a sneaky suspicion you're right. Being right. Like, I'm sure, like, New like Ross Taylor beating Pakistan in 2011 was the first time pa New Zealand had beaten Pakistan in an ICC tournament. But since then, I don't think uh, New Zealand have uh, beaten Pakistan in a in a knockout game. So Pakistan still have the wood on us in that sense. Yeah. Um, and so they would go on to the finals to face England again. It was a repeat of the 92 World Cup. Yeah. But as soon as I saw the way England beat India, I was like, yeah, this team's going to win the yeah. final. Uh, it was going to take something amazing for that not to happen after England just smoked India in that semi-final. Like, they just They're were so much on fire. I have to commend England's white ball program. It is so yes. good. Look, look at the players they could not bring to this World Cup. Jofra Archer, Johnny Bairstow. Um, they didn't bring Joe Root. Who would... Okay, New Zealand would play Joe Root as a T20, uh, as a T20 yeah. player. Like, you know, batsmen who can bowl two or three overs a game. South Australia would play him. Maybe even India. So, yeah, yeah. Joe Root is not in, not, uh, you know, steamed surplus to requirements. Reese Topley was injured. Like, basically the best death bowler in the world. Um, then, so that to bring in Sam Curran to fill in that role who just did magnificently like just Mark Wood was injured for the finals David Milan was injured for the f uh, for the knockouts yeah. yet they never looked like we never thought oh yeah they're gonna miss the sky they're gonna there's no. no irreplaceable players in that England team maybe other than Adil Rashid maybe yeah I think that is probably the only one there is no other wrist spinner like Adil in England no, uh, there maybe no other wrist spinner like him in world uh, cricket <laughs> in for the T20 format like uh, T20 wrist uh, he's is he's probably the best T20 wrist spin bowler yeah like white ball wrist spin bowler in the world probably and and the impact like we talked about it so many times the number of times Ish Sodi and Mich uh uh, Mitchell Satner brought New Zealand's bowling back into games when yeah. the paid bowlers couldn't uh, finish off. That, uh, like, that's basically what England do with uh, Adil Rashid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And against India as well, remember, he bowled like a four-over spell, 12 for one. Like, that's <laughs> just crazy. incredible figures. That is just incredible. Just literally strangled them into submission. Yeah. Like... And like 170 was nowhere near close enough, but we like what's four overs to spare. It was, I know it's crazy. It was a thrashing. It was a big thrashing. They just 
anthem completely. And this is the like okay. England have a weakness in their bowling lineup if, that if you manage to hit at some of their part timers like uh, like uh, Liam Livingston and Reese Topley, maybe, you know these bowler. If you manage yeah. to get a hold of someone, like not counting the depth, obviously it's always possible to hit out at somebody at the depth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and get a few big overs in the middle, you can get a score. The thing is, though, England bat to eleven. Yeah. It's really hard to bat them out of games. So you have to hope you're chasing against England and hope you manage to hit, get on to one of their bowlers. Yeah. Uh, if England bat second, like I don't think there is a team in international cricket that can consistently beat them. Yeah, probably and... not. You're right. They're just ridiculously good at chasing. Yeah, and they've been like, and they're rightfully, I think, deservedly the they've united the white ball belts, right? They've, yeah, yeah, they have. They're both the 2009. They're both the ODI and T20 World Champions. Like they revolutionized ODI batting by like going at five and a half to six runs and over in the yeah, because the ODIs were basically becoming after the power pl between the power play and the death where you had those 20 overs it became a ceasefire. Bowlers kind of went through the motions. The batters didn't hit too hard. Yeah, yeah. You got a few runs here and there, and sort of made runs. Whereas, like England was going at five and a half, six, and over in those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they definitely did those changed that around as well. Yeah, and we got to remember, India rightfully gets praise for putting out two or three teams touring around the world with these two or three teams and beating them with the you know with their OD, with their one day international uh, sides and what around the world mm. and you know people can go on about oh yeah they're sending in a B team like that B team is earning money for Sri Lankan cricket or South African cricket when they tour there yeah yeah exactly um, so like i don't and it's good for both sides i it's not disrespect, it's like preventing those countries from getting through bankruptcy. Like, England and India basically carried the cricketing world financially during yes. the pandemic. Yes, yes. Um, they had, they toured, they invited teams to come over, they got money from Gates, they re, you know, in India were... England were playing two sides as well at the same time as India. They were playing India and playing Pakistan at the same time at home. Right. Yes. Sorry, they were playing. They were touring Pakistan at the same time as they were for an ODI series. As same time they were playing Test matches against India. Yes. So they too had two teams playing at the same time, and they were handily beating Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. So we knew that the they were still a very good white ball side. Um, uh, sure. The result of the 2019 finals will always hurt, but uh, mm. England still were worthy winners. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. That that makes it a little harder. You know, you can't be like, they were really good during the tournament. So yeah, and because they're already eliminated from the finals, as unfortunately so are New Zealand for the Test World Championships and. Uh, next year in June, they can focus on just improving their test team. Um, but that white ball program is incredible. Um, 
and they're doing really well uh, and the and there's like the big question for people are talking about Australia and India. Now we haven't talked India has the usual thing of what are we doing? Why aren't we why are we not getting to finals or why are we you know why are we not producing the results at the crucial moment in World Cup games? And I don't know, the answer seems complicated because yes. They did ask Jer- uh, Rahul Dravid that is it an issue that these T20 players are not playing the leagues overseas and they uh, only play in India. So, you know, they, one of the things they said is that maybe England outmaneuvered India because their players were more familiar with the Adelaide Oval and they knew how to bowl there. And, right, yeah, yeah. And their batters knew how to take advantage of the dimensions of the ground. Yeah. And Rahul Javid pretty much just said, look, if Indian players could go on the T20 circuit, then, you know, there's not going to be test cricket. Yeah. And I don't know how whether that's true or not, but that's clearly the party line in India, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Srini, uh, the head of BCCI, and Sarav Ganguly, whatever issues you may have about them, they clearly value test cricket. And they clearly want India to be good at test cricket. Whether yeah. I agree with their thinking around how they're doing their T20 program, I, I don't know. Maybe India will just go, hey, being good at international T20s is not as important as having the best IPL, having the yeah. best T20 franchise. Like, having the yeah. Premier League is more important than having an English, cricket, like, English football team that wins all the time. You know, the Premier League doesn't care, right, if how well no. England does. No, it really doesn't. Therefore, maybe in the BCCI is getting into that mindset. I mean, I don't know. These are just ideas. And it is possible. Out. I mean, it it's, looks at the same concept, right? The, you say the Premier League doesn't care how well the English team does. In fact, it has has absolutely no bearing on it. England could be doing good or bad, and EPL doesn't care. The same. But the BCCI yeah. make loads of money from internationals. Like, yeah. not the reason why they play ODIs is they make money. You know, yeah. New Zealand's always happy to host massive ODI series. They make money. People go to those games. People watch them. Sponsors. Like, I think one of the things people don't understand is advertisers know that having a captive audience who are uh, focused on one thing is more important than having a big audience that are not that focused, that are going to flick through ads and change channels. Yeah, yeah. So ODIA games, like, you know, eight hours, people watching games, that's like a, an advertiser's dream. Yeah. Like sponsors at for side screens, you know, uh, you know, sponsorship for players, all these things for teams. So ODI cricket is financially very viable and, in fact, quite lucrative. They might not get the gates that T20 gets, but, you know, they more than make up for it with, like, money from TV and advertisers. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they still rake in some money, right? So. They, they rake in decent money. They rake, mm. like, if New Zealand would not be able to, if they didn't have to play test cricket, would not be able to feed itself on T20. It needs ODIs. Yeah. Well, if ODIs weren't making lots of money, they probably would have been scrapped already, right? Yes. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. 
they, they would we would just have t20s and test so test would be the quote-unquote pure form and t20s was the money making but obviously odis stay around and they still have plenty of them still have plenty you know we'll cup on it and everything so it's just um clearly has value and makes money and stands on its own yeah yeah and this is so it's a uh there's definitely things to look at for from india like we i have gone on and on and on about why do they have so many anchors and india did lose umrah <laughs> that was always going to be a problem yeah also i was validated we all we both said Kohli was going to come good did we not yeah we did actually like I did quote that a lot of Indian bloggers were going on about how he shouldn't be playing and shouldn't start for the T20 World Cup, and I said I disagree. Virat Kohli <laughs> will come good, and when he comes good, he will come good. Yes. And he definitely had turned had some clutch performances for the team in situations where they needed him to. The game against Pakistan, which was a must-win. Um, the game against Bangladesh, which was a must-win, mm. and even in the game against uh, Zimbabwe, which was a must-win. Yeah, well, the Zimbabwe game sort of stopped being a must-win, but yeah. yeah, still 26 and 25 things. The one against England also, he was, yeah, was it 40 from? 40 of so. 30 ish, which is like yeah. it's slow by T20 status, but he was trying to do something. Yeah, yeah. So, in that that performance, that's like that. It, he was yeah, doing yeah. something, he was making sure things were, were keeping around. So, that's yeah. Absolutely. Now, it's the um, so Indian cricket. They're one of they're also fifth at the moment in the Test World Championships. Australia high at the top, South Africa just below them. Like very likely, those two teams are going to face each other in the finals in uh, Lords next year. Um, there is an off chance that uh, Pakistan might sneak in, which uh, um, not maybe. Um, and Sri Lanka is still in the mix, so yeah. go Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Who they're on top. So it basically, uh, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, um, Australia, and South Africa are the only ones that are still in the mix. Um, Technically, West Indies, I don't think, are eliminated yet. But you only, might be right. I think West only Indies just not technically. Technically not yet really, uh, eliminated yet. Oh, how good would it be if the Windies managed to beat Australia this summer and then like move up the charts to? To, to qualify, that would be incredible. I mean, I'm all, I'm, I'm all for living in that timeline. <laughs> now, I'll take it too. Yeah. Now, so if they can't make the Test World Championship final, if looks likely, um, they've, they've got a home World Cup next uh, next year, ODI. Um, but realistically, um, England are the best team. In that World Cup, and unlike the 2019 World Cup, they will be able to play their way. They can play with the strong batting lineup. Yeah. Formula. 
Um, and they have the spinners and everyone else to win. Um, and the next year they will also be hosting the Ashes against Australia. And so we'll see if baseball works against the baggy green. So England, okay, sure, their test their test team is on the up. I think great they're great to be an English cricket fan, I think. I think it's good to be a New Zealand cricket fan as well. We'll talk a bit more about some of the concerns I have about them, but Talking about Australia now, um, yeah, they are a home World Cup playing in games that Australia need to win and they're like nobody coming to games? Is that a worry if you're Australia cricket fan or like an admin person? Yeah, that's definitely a worry. Like it's, it's a bit strange. Yeah, I mean, the team yeah, I understand, like, footy season just barely got over, and it's technically racing season still uh, over there. Yeah. Uh, um, but the tournament was, like, yeah, India was selling out more games in Australia than Australia were. I know, that's just... Same ditto Pakistan and Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, and like uh, this conversation where we were, I was talking to Twix and I talked to you about this as well, like what we consider to be the premier brands of Austra of like international sports, so like international teams, not domestic franchises of a sport. What are the big international, repre rep international representative teams that are the big brands? Yeah. And we immediately thought, yeah, Brazilian football team, that yeah. doesn't need to be explained absolutely why they are like. And if you think about what that is, it's like they have a passionate fan base around the world that's not from their home country or pe you know, from their diaspora peoples. Their um, their games will take up media space, click, you know, when yeah, yeah. they're uh, in other countries as well. And they, um, you know, they have like, so, you know, sale of merch, commercial value, and like yes. selling tickets, like when they travel outside their, you know, traditional spheres of influence. Yeah, so like yeah. Brazil playing outside of South uh, South America, Europe, like Brazil, like I think Brazil are the uh, the Brazilian football team are like the key example of this because it doesn't even matter if they don't have a suit, you know, doesn't matter who's in the team. There's all. Uh, if you're a player, like a good player in the Brazilian team, you have a superstar. You you have a mind. Like Brazil would sell out a game in Wellington playing the All Whites, almost like within a day. Oh, they would still less than a day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm being generous. Here, but... Yeah. New Zealand's not a soccer country. No. Um. Like, obviously it would happen in China, it would happen in Australia. So I'm like using examples of countries that are not soccer countries, and that would happen with Brazil. Yeah, so that's there. Definitely happen. Now, I th also thought the All Blacks belonged in that conversation, just because they sell out games in places like the US and Canada. Like, obviously in, Euro in rugby countries in the Northern Hemisphere, yes, they have lots of passionate fans who are not New Zealanders. They yeah. get merch and mer media attention, and they sell out games over there. But that's rugby sphere. But I feel like the um, like the All Blacks would probably sell out games in India. Maybe not Bangladesh, but probably possible India, Sri Lanka, definitely, because that's a rugby country. You know. Yeah. They're definitely. 
there's definitely places outside their comfort zone where they would sell again. And then, obviously, the U.S. men's basketball team. They're just, like, yeah. you, know, you don't even need to explain why. Like, they just are. Like, you know, if they played a, you know, they came to play a, a game against the Tall Blacks, they would sell out here within minutes. Oh, 100%. Easy. It doesn't matter which good American players are coming. They're... NBA players coming to play against yeah, exactly. the Tall Blacks, 100% would come. Yeah. It would, yeah. would sell out so quick that game. Yeah. It would be interesting. New Zealand well, is a basketball country, by the yeah, way, yeah. so that might be a bad example. But even in Bangladesh, which is not a basketball country, that would happen. Yeah. I was just thinking what would sell out quicker, the US basketball team or the Brazilian football team? But it's close, right? It's close. very close. Yeah. But the fact that the Brazilian... Like, if you think about it, like, fo- basketball is more popular than football in New yeah, Zealand yeah. as a participation sport and as a watching sport now. Like I think especially as a watching sport, yes. Yeah. So, it's amazing that we think Brazil, the Brazilian football team would, I, might be more competitive than the U.S. men's basketball team if it were to tour here in terms of, like, you know, attention and who would sell out faster. yeah. Also, probably the basketball team would sell out faster because they they'd have less tickets to sell. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. yeah, exactly. Not a real fair comparison. Like you know, no, the cake bin's no. gonna be thirty thousand, forty thousand people if it's Eden Park. You know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, so we thought about that. Like now, the Australian cricket team doesn't belong in that conversation. Right, they've got mana. They're the winningest team in the world history, and all these things. But you know, they don't really have, uh, other than in cricket countries, some cricket countries, they don't really have passionate fans outside. Like not, you know, not compared to teams like even England, has a lot more non-English fans outside of their, you know, mean, yeah, yeah. who like their team, and like you know, where the West Indies have it more. Like for a while, oh, the yeah. West Indies was everybody's second favorite cricket team, right? Like yeah, yeah. They have that tradition of being everybody's second favorite team. Now, but the thing is, Australia, the Australian cricket team of all the national teams in Australia used to be the biggest brand in Australia. Yeah. Like, all sports stopped during those 10 weeks that you are playing, like, cricket, uh, you know, test cricket in Australia. Like... There's a they, yeah. There's a reason why they say the captain of the Australian cricket team is the second most powerful man in the country after the prime minister. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, for like uh, people like Alfie Langer and Bill, uh, Brad Fittler, they're legends, right? John Eels, yeah. they're not Don Bradman. No. Right, like we're not. They're not in that. Say they're not Shane Warne. No, exactly. Not they're not Ricky Dennis Lee. Yeah, they're not Dennis Lilly, they're not Ricky Ponting. So yeah. this is the this is what you're comparing. But I don't think they're the biggest brand anymore. I think maybe the Wallabies are more popular, or the Boomers are more popular. Yeah, Heck, maybe even the Socceroos. The Wallabies being more popular, that's, wow. That says a lot about Australian rugby. You're right, Australian rugby has come back a lot in the last few years. So it is possible. But, we have lived yeah. through times when there are... Australian rugby team was arguably more popular than the Australian cricket team in yes, yes. Australia. In Australia, yes. But like, that, those times are a good 20-odd years past. <laughs> well, we can 
bitch and moan about the Wallabies, how they play against the All Blacks and stuff, but we don't think they're dicks. No. They just play hard, and they, be, you know, they're, they have sportsmanship. They're not the Australian cricket team. They don't sledge your opponents. You know, they know, you know, rugby's a game of, rugby's actually a game played by gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> It's thug, it, yeah. It's a thuggish game played by gentlemanly people, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, there's like, and we respect the hard graph, but they're also like an example of good sportsmanship, like the the Austra- you know, the Wallabies are. Yeah. So you know, yeah, there's a reason why like George Gregan does ads in, for New Zealand brands, and he's super popular here, right? Yeah. yeah. So. And we used to have ads with people like uh, David Campisi and like Nick Farr Jones and you know, yeah, all these things. So like yeah, that's a thing that the Wallabies have. A, a part of that might also be like you know private school boys nonsense. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Gotta have a bit of that that nonsense floating yeah. around. Yeah, and also the oh, uh, we all know that the elephant in the room is like yeah, Australia doesn't have an Aussie rules national team. Like, yeah, sure, yeah. there's an Australian select team, uh, but they don't represent Australia in international tournaments the way the Wallabies, the you know the ba- the Baggy Greens, and all of those guys do. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So yeah, there it's a different thing. Now, like, uh, arguably, is like the Australian women's cricket team a bigger brand than the Australian men's cricket team? At the moment? At the moment? Could be getting close. They win a lot. They do win a lot. And everyone likes them. Yeah. And they have some gun players. Like, at least Perry is like like a genuine GOAT level player. Yeah. And then we're not even getting into people like your Meg Lennings and all of them. But, yes. The... The women's team, the they're doing, uh, they're definitely growing the game and uh, for women's cricket in Australia. But it's like the men's team just don't seem to have that, uh, you know, that must watch, you know, must support Australia. And part people talked about that maybe it's because you know the last four years you know, Australian cricket has been behind a paywall for people to watch. Yeah. And like the company that had the rights to the T20 World Cup, which was nine sport, didn't have the rights to the Australian team, so they didn't promote them. Alright, that's a bit weird. They don't have the rights to Australia's games for the rest of the summer. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. They don't want to play into the hands of, you know, seven, who I assume have the rest of the, like, they don't have the big bash rights, for example, which I believe is with seven or ten. Alright, yeah. So it's like, it's created this weird situation so there are probably more than just one simple answer here yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a complicated thing going on right yeah now what going on from there we're we going to New Zealand what do we see like this team uh, what we've lost obviously a giant and someone like Ross Taylor um, yeah. who I'm not sure has been adequately replaced in the T20 side, but I'm willing to give what we have there a go. But I think the ODI side definitely has not replaced someone like Ross Taylor. 
No. And arguably neither the, the test side either. No. no. I think the test side is definitely showing the biggest um, loss. Yes. Of it. Yes. I think. I think. Yeah. T20 we probably covered reasonably well, especially because Ross hadn't really been in the T20 side for a while. Yeah, and let's be fair, like Ross Taylor is one of the top three greatest batsmen our country's ever produced. Oh yes, definitely. Right, like maybe you put him second ahead of Martin Crow, or you put him third after Martin Crow. Maybe yeah. and but Kane Williamson is probably universally number one for uh, the best batsman. Yeah. I think. And then you've got those two. And then you've you then you can start arguing over people like Len Turner, Baz McCullum, Stephen Fleming, Stephen Fleming, uh, Sutcliffe. But you know these yeah. three are above them. There's daylight between these three oh, yeah. and other Definitely. people. Yeah. And though, so, like the fact that we haven't replaced Ross Taylor is not unusual. And for a while, he was the best batsman team had he liked yeah. and he was carrying the team yeah and he's such a prolific scorer in the ODI format um so I can't imagine the team's not gonna miss him um and it's hard to gauge we haven't played a real ODI series in a while it's hard to gauge what the team is like yeah exactly it's gonna be interesting like I really really like Finn Allen I would love for him to keep playing yes. as an opener for the um, ODI uh, team because he's going to play a l if he he will get his chances in the IPL now because he's shown a bit of form in the T20 World Cup. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, excuse me, the RCB will give him opportunities to open, uh, show his skill, um, and you know, I think he's a genuine talent, like a genuine. A top order threat like some like New Zealand realistically like I can't rec even though G New Zealand pioneered the idea of having a hard-hitting opener f in the in the 1992 World Cup with Mark Greatbatch yeah. yeah yeah since then I don't think other than Brendan McCollum we haven't really had that sort of player open the innings New Zealand ever again like somebody who can literally go I've hit four sixes in and over yeah. in the power play just cause I'm in the so mood we didn't today. even open with Jesse Ryder did we we did open with Jesse Ryder oh, and yeah. Jesse Ryder had a very decent ODI record but he was playing more you know he played to try and anchor the innings a bit more and uh, Jesse yeah. Ryder has that ability in him but like like Jesse Ryder there's like the biggest lots of talent New Zealand crickets arguably had as a bats for a batsman yeah um, so this ODI side will probably have Kane Williamson if his elbow holds up um, yeah and I wonder if Kane like I hope obviously I am not in any way suggesting he should retire but I wonder whether the elbow will ever come right for him yeah, it's, it's him for a while. Yeah, it has, and like it's fine in tests where he can just be patient and you know uh, get himself into form. But like mm -hmm. it's a bit more difficult to, and also like I feel like it's harder for him 
the other sense that you know because he has to bat for longer and he's putting more pressure on his elbow yeah um i don't know if he wants to give up the odi format to extend his career and it's not a bad idea because realistically if we take a team with tom latham captaining or uh in the odis to with young players nobody's realistically going to expect them to win yeah. They just expected to try and you know perform their best. Um, so if we have like a few players from that T20 team that made you know this World Cup T20 team, people like Glenn Phillips, um, obviously Daryl Mitchell, um, and the likes of uh, Finn Allen, mm. that's a team you can sort of build. Like those are three very good batsman I think you could build a team around like obviously Daryl Mitchell is also getting on in years but he's still still quite young sort of yeah and Devin Conway obviously in that team as well obviously yeah, yeah. Not to mention him yes so Devin Conway if he's a if he opens like left hand right hand that's a very good, and if he's gonna wicket keep as well that's a core four um I don't know how long Trent Bolt can keep playing three formats yeah, well, he's been left out of the both squads, both white ball squads for the India tour. But that's yeah, to do with that that's he doesn't. probably that's probably more to give him a rest. Um, Tim Southey prob- probably play. probably more to do with the fact that they didn't re-sign a central contract more than anything. Um, yeah, so. that's also true. We've got Matt Henry. Yeah. Um, there's is Duffy also a left arm bowler? I remember actually. Sorry. We've got Lockie Ferguson as well. Yeah. Um, and Adam Milne. So there's yeah. a. D- there are good pace bowlers, and as long as one of those two are there to lead the team, like Tim Saudi is the leader of the attack. If he plays yeah. all three formats, he can be aggressively the leader. And I think Mitchell Satner's shown his worth in white ball cricket now. Um, it's a tournament in India so Ish Sodi Mitchell Satner have to go in my mind Ajaz Patel as well yeah yeah take. unless you're taking someone like uh, Todd Astle to be like you know your uh, another wrist spinner yeah yeah it's another option um, obviously they like uh, Mark Chapman and I like Mark Chapman too I think Mark Chapman could be a very good number uh, four or five, depending on whether Kane Williamson's playing in this. Mm-hmm. Well, in the will be playing in the World Cup. Um, Daryl Mitchell can pretty much bat anywhere. I'd like I like the idea of him being a closer, and he's obviously able to pitch in with overs. Yeah. Well, but I think he could be a very good number three as well, if Kane Williamson's playing. Yeah. Daryl Mitchell's the guy who does the job, whatever you tell him to do. Yeah, yeah. He just seems. He's just such a versatile player. You gotta have him in your team somewhere. He'll just flip into wherever he needs to be. Like, it's like yeah. you need me to be this. That's the Ronald Blank, sure. Now is whether do we? And I think in a tour, in a ODI team in ODI World Cup in India, you gotta take Tom Latham. He's just got such a good batting record over there. In all yeah, he's definitely gotta go. And if you get Tom Latham in there, he's batting five. So Mitchell can yeah. bat six because you can justify it with his ball. And Colin de Grandholm has retired. Yeah. He's still yeah. got Nisham. 
Nisham fits in there as well. You can. You've got Nisham. You've got Daryl Mitchell. Um, Glenn Phillips. Glenn. Yeah, I would. I think Glenn Phillips should be number four if Conway is opening. Oh yes, sorry. Yeah. Like unless Glenn Phillips was batting uh, number three, uh, Tom Latham. If he's number five, then you can get that it's who bats at number six. Yeah. Because if if Dale Mitchell is batting number six, you can fit in another batter who you want to develop. So, like I think Mark Chapman has a lot of talent and potential. Like of the players in the domestic scene who I think could be developed into a good ODI and T20 batter. He's one of them. Like, yeah, yeah. some who can bat, you know, in the top four. Yeah. They don't seem to have picked him in either of the squads for the India um, series, but there may be other reasons for that. Doesn't there may be. And there's, always, there's also Michael Bracewell, and he also has mm. spin bowling option. Well, he's been picked both in both squads, so maybe that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but long term, New Zealand. Before we play for the thir- for the next Test World Championships after the next series are now that we're out, is it time to like for Kane to decide whether he wants to continue Test matches or not? Um, because Obviously, if he's going to pick a format, that's the one I'd want him to stick to. Play yeah. test matches and only play IPL for T20s. Mm-hmm. Doesn't play T20Is, maybe plays ODIs, but doesn't necessarily have to. Like, I'd rather he just focus on tests. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, if we have to pick, if he has to pick one, that's how I would like to see it going as well. Um, yeah. Ideally, he wouldn't just pick only one. Yeah. Be able to play. Like, I'm being realistic about his elbow. Yeah. Like I'm assuming I, I can't well. handle. Yeah. Like we, I think it'd be at his age. Like these sort of injuries don't get better; they oh. kind of persist. And like I want to maximize Kane, not you know spread him over three formats, but only have him for one or two more seasons. Yeah. No, I understand that completely. Say if I have to choose that, I just. Wouldn't want. I don't really want to choose, but I know reality is getting in the way. Saying, "Well, you go also, to he has to. Yeah, and he has been captain for a while, and that is draining. That is draining. He is a uh, very, like he's a cool customer. He seems always like he's not stressed and he's chilled. But he must be wondering if it's time to like you know, even if he doesn't uh, retire from the format altogether, if he's in the team and. Tom Latham, who's obviously the prospective next captain for the test yeah, side. Yeah. And I think he should be for the ODI side as well. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, then definitely um, he could, like, develop the, you know, his tactics, what he wants. Yeah. New Zealand's but... not going to have another captain like Brendan McCullum. That, he's unique. Like, he's a one-off. Yeah, he was very unique. So yeah, I mean that's another that's a good option as well. Maybe a little bit more giving Latham a bit more of the reins, letting him start to yeah. shape the team. But as you say, I'm sure Kane will start thinking about this um, and how they're going to to shape this with him and Steve. Will 
work out what they yeah. want, but yeah, and be interesting to see, and it's it's hard to know. Yeah. And I think what he's thinking. Like for this Test World Championships, New Zealand lost two games at home to Bangladesh mm. and South Africa, which were lost because they did not pick a spin bowler. Yeah. In the lineup, and it showed like the attack like got too tedious. And part of me thinks this is uh, like maybe Gary Stead, like he's done excellent, and you know we. Uh, commend him and want him to do well but you'll, you know maybe there needs to be a change of coach there needs to be a change of like okay need new thinking new uh, maybe Stephen Fleming if he wants to I don't know if he has the time you know, we can pay him enough to <laughs> yeah. is that as well like, there's no question in my mind he's an excellent coach yeah yeah um, Brendan McCullum's obviously busy yeah um, Mike, as is Mike Hessen, um, and I don't think Mike Hessen should come back. Like he, he's uh, done his job. Exactly. Um, the other option is picking someone from overseas. Yeah. Captain to coach side. Um, there's plenty of other good coaches I think in New Zealand cricket that could do the job. Um, maybe Craig McMillan. Maybe. Because he's already the batting coach, he knows yes, the say. setup. He's been in the setup for quite a while now, so that's always helpful. And Craig's always been an attacking captain. Mm. Whenever he's had to captain the team, and I feel like he—he—that's the closest we could have a coach who would take a bit of a baseball approach. Yeah, yeah. To no, definitely agree there. That probably, probably the best option there. If you're if you're looking for a, yeah, a more baseball, more aggressive type coach who's going to drive the team that way, I think McMillan's probably probably the best choice there. Yeah, uh, he's not going to be afraid to experiment, right? And New no. Zealand will need to experiment to figure out a team. Like we're in a rebuilding phase, like right now. Yeah, yeah. Like we're it's we're realistically not going to make the knockouts in the next. ODI World Cup and we're already eliminated from the final of the next Test World Championship so we have to be ready for what sort of you know to build a test team that's going to be competitive in the next Test World Championship like I would exactly. like ideally finish in the top four even if that means it's not in the final like they were a competitive team you know yeah 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 so that should like, definitely be the target and you say it needs like, to start now and the next T20, uh, the T20 World Cup in 2024. Like I think uh, the core of this team, like I think Kane Williamson, like he's done his job for New Zealand, led us to two finals in T20Is, and obviously led us to a 2019 World Cup final. Um, but yeah, uh, the yeah he's had like the reigns for a while. We should probably look to have a new captain. And there probably uh, needs to be a thought about who we want to bat at number three. Because Glenn Phillips has said he wants four. That's his ideal position. And mm. to be fair, that is the hardest position to bat in in T20s. So I'm glad he's holding his hand up. He could be our best T20 batter by a long yeah. shot. Yeah. And because he can close and bat 
aggressively in the middle overs without taking up too many balls. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, for the moment, obviously, Daryl Mitchell can bat at number three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we probably, like, five is probably a bit too high for Jimmy Nisham. And Jimmy Nisham is getting on a bit. Like, he's probably got one more Cup World Cup. ODI and the T20 World Cup in him and after Probably, that we yeah. to, like the 2024 T20 World Cup I would be once again happy to make the knockouts yeah but uh, I'm not expecting finals or winning yeah uh, like there's just yeah there's still too many good teams uh, exactly. but I do think the we're gonna have a lot of New Zealand players playing in the circuit uh, mm. and there's like you know people like Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips are in the IPL now so definitely could see that work out uh, you know they just I could I'd love to see them go on and do well Trent Bolt I feel like will come back for the 2024 World Cup well he, he says he wants to play he wants to play the the ODI, ODI World, World Cup, Cup as well and the oh. yeah the 2024 T20 World Cup Close. Yeah. So, but at the end, like long term, there will need to be a replacement. Like Trent yes. Bolt and Neil Wagner are irreplaceable bowlers. Like, yeah. there's nobody like them. Like, no. you know, a skill, two super skilled left arm bowlers. And the uh, and Neil Wagner is 37. So. We have to assume he will not be playing in the next Test World Championship if New Zealand were to make it to, like, if a final. Yeah, yeah. Very unlikely to be playing that one. Yeah. Ajaz Patel... Well, like, yeah, there's an argument to be made that New Zealand does need to shore up its spin bowling. Like, it needs to give Ajaz more games at home to try... Definitely, yeah. And uh, and Satner as well, and I think there's nothing wrong with the idea that New Zealand has uses the experience of the spin bowlers in the middle overs and Saudi and like bloods new young talent. And obviously we've got Carl Jamieson in yeah. the Test matches. Um, I hope he gets over his injury problems. Uh, and we've got. Uh, Lockie Ferguson to come, who can obviously play te play the test matches as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think Lockie is probably a lock for the ODI <laughs> World Cup team, and yeah. he's a lock for the next World Cup as well. Like he's the first change. Yeah. But yeah, it was the um, him the. The this is probably it. Like this core three uh, of the core three pace bowlers with the two spinners bowling lineup is probably still useful in the World Cup in India and also the World T twenty twenty four World Cup should it be needed. Yeah, but I do feel like in in India at least, and even the West Indies in 2024, they will need a third spinner. Like, somebody who will, like, oh, this pitch is just... You need to take the pace off, and somebody needs to come in. And it's like a real opportunity if Kane were to retire from white ball cricket to bring in another 
Like, that might be the whole plan with Michael Bracewell. That's the third Maybe, spin yeah. bowler. Yeah, that's a, another three option. Spin, three good spin bowlers, three good pace bowlers, and you've got Jamini Shim yeah. to cover. And Daryl Mitchell, for that matter, to cover. That's a very decent bowling lineup. That is a very decent bowling lineup. Like, either of those two can bowl five or six overs, like, economically, here and there in an ODI game. That can be, like, match training. Like, Colin de Grandhomme's spell in that 2019 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Final. Like, even though he dropped to catch off his own bowling at the beginning, he still bowled really well. Like, he yeah. had a great spell. Very economical, very tight, like, basically helped the team grind out the wickets in that game. And then the... It's basically what we do with the batting lineup, because the ODI team, like, if you have Conway and Latham, I think Latham has to keep. Especially in India, where I think keeping, yeah, no. you know, you bring your spin bowlers in, if you... If you've got a specialist. Yeah, I uh, know. I think Latham's got to gotta be the keeper. Yeah. I think that... I know Conway can do a bit, but I think they... Um, aim against Pakistan semi-final there. Just showed the... the difference, the fine edges of having a... Yeah, you know, an actual world-class keeper behind the sticks. Yeah. I just feel what that... You... Like, it was... A, there was that... The catch in the first over, which was a very hard catch, but yeah, you just feel that having Latham or another, or even a McCullough proper, that yeah, shit. yeah, quote unquote proper, but um, wicketkeeper, it probably would have been caught. Yeah, and that potentially was a fine line between the winning and the losing of that game. Like yeah, it was a yeah. difficult catch. Like I'm not going to say that oh he should have caught it, but it's just. Those are the, f the very, very fine lines and the very, very difficult lines. The differences between the winning and losing of the game can be had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, that's the sort of chance that the New Zealand bowling lineup generally tends to pounce on. Yeah. When they... Yeah, but at the end of the day, other than the game against Australia and... Even the game against Ireland, New Zealand's big problem in the T20 World Cup was their batters didn't put on enough runs yes. when they were batting first. Um, oh, that's, yeah, is, is also true. Like, they got lucky uh, that Australia kept going hitting hard after that target, so that's why mm. they got the net run result. And then against Ireland, you know, Ireland had to go for it, right? There was no point. Uh, uh, and Ireland weren't doing too badly. Uh, got a few lucky middle-over breakthroughs to get get in, but the runs weren't there in that game. The runs were there for us in that Australia game. That was a good batting performance. But in but the, we still New got Zealand, 185 against Ireland. But oh, I mean, you're right. 185 is still good. You're right. It's still good. I mean, potentially yeah. it was. I don't know. Maybe a little light, but. Yeah. 180 odds, still still decent amount. But weren't they at one point like 90 for 1? At like the 10 over mark? I can't remember. But. 
Either way, like, it yeah. did look like at one point they should have gotten 200, but they didn't. But that could, was also good death bowling from Ireland, to be fair. Yeah. Like, they did get a hat-trick in the second to last over. Oh, you must be right. They must be around about 90 for one. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're 90 for one, you basically go add another 100 to that, because you've only lost the one wicket. You should be going a 10 and over at this point. Yeah, yeah. And but I think that's the thing. New Zealand will want to be a, a team that can, when they yeah the batting uh, lineup wants you want them to be more consistently batting the way they did against Australia in that opening yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there is a question. There is a idea that you could open with both Van Allen and Glenn Phillips. Mm. in the OGI team. Or, I still think... I still think having a left-hand, right-hand's better, though. Conway yeah. and... I would tend towards that as well. I think that's a better way of doing it. Yeah. And I guess the inevitable... Like, Daryl Mitchell bats three. And he's been batting good at three for both T20 and ODIs, to be fair. Yeah. And we've got the... Uh, uh, we've got Glenn Phillips at four and uh, Latham at five. Yeah. Well, you could even bat Latham at four in, in the ODI game and Phillips at five to go yeah, down yeah. and hit a bit more. I mean, technically, Latham could probably even be the three in the ODI. Yeah, but if he's also yeah, he's gonna keep as well, right? Yeah. So that's true. And the uh, and he's good, very good against spin, so you could even yes. open with him as a yeah, yeah. left arm as the left arm complement to Finn Allen. Yeah, I mean he opens and, and tests, right? So yeah, and like Devin Conway could bat three. So there's a lot of ways to fiddle around with that lineup. It's how you go about it. So New Zealand need to work out. We know who the personnel are. Yeah. New Zealand just need to work out how to, what the mojo is, what how the alchemy works. Because yeah, there's exactly. no like, we're no long. New Zealand's no longer a team that'll pick like an 18, 19 year old as like the next great hope and put them into the top team. We're going to be like nurturing those players until they're in like their early 20s. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, as a batsman, we might still pick a bowler who's young mm. like that because, you know, you want to catch lightning in a bottle when it comes to bowlers. Yeah, exactly. Whereas batsmen, you know, you want them to develop. You want them to keep getting better and, like, you know, yeah. go at their pace and learn about their game. There's a little bit of bowlers as well, right? That um, you can get them out there early, they might be able to... Like, if you see a bowler who's, like, 18 and consistently bowling at 156 miles an hour... Yeah. and Get them in the team. Him now, get him in the team now, like, yeah. while he's able to do that. And also, before the other teams are sort of... Yeah. Other batters have really had a, a lot of chance to work them out and know yeah. what's happening, right? You just get a bit there, you're like, okay. Yeah. Don't know and yet. If Especially if they're like, we can bowl that fast and we can swing the ball both ways and like yeah. have wobble balls up our sleeves. Like, yes, pick that guy. Like, pick that guy. Stick him in the team. Yeah. 
and you know, Timmy will look after him. He'll teach him how to do a few slower balls and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And knuckle balls. Trent and Timmy will teach him. Yeah. Only rare to play like that. Yeah, I mean, every like every team would want like a fast bowling all-rounder, right? Like yeah. every team wants Ben Stokes. There's a reason why <laughs> he's the best player in the world. Like if there's a genuine like there's three ways to look at an MVP, right? An MVP is the player who is the best player in a tournament, sort of thing, who most consistently be, you know, puts out the best performances. They're either the be most valuable player to their team, or they're yeah. the most valuable in terms of any team could pick which player would everyone get pick up uh, pick up if they could and it's ben stokes is all three yeah, yeah. he's like when it comes to cricket <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah this is like you know if you're a fast bowling all-rounder that's what you want like we haven't replaced chris Keynes ever like no. all due respect to like Trimination and corey Anderson and all of them, but yeah, this is a ongoing thing. I'm sure we're going to be talking more and more about it in the summer as the Indian series goes on. Yeah, I'm sure we will. It seems to be inevitable with us. We all seem to always seem to end up talking plenty about our ideal Black Caps lineup. Yeah, our ideal of New Zealand cricket as well. Yeah, but uh, I think that's all we have time for today. And I hope you all enjoyed that, and I'll look forward to hearing from you next time. Catch you next time. Cool. Well, that is the end. Thanks for listening all the way through. If you liked what you heard, be even more. Find Explore to Discord and a buy me a coffee. Pretty sure it's buy me a beer. Oh yeah, buy me a beer on buymeacoffee.com. In both these places, you can talk to us, and we may even listen, especially if you do buy a said beer, or coffee. I might still be confused. Yes, we're easily bribed. All links are in the show notes below. Don't forget to like and subscribe. This is on YouTube. <laughs>